politics, football, faith, and theology. You're listening to Podcast, and I'm your host, Daniel. I'm with my wife, Rebecca, today to talk about the NFC. So uh, a while ago, we went through every division in the AFC, and we figured out which teams we thought were going to win, come in second, and all that. Well, we're going to do the same thing now with the NFC. So uh, which division do you want to start with, Rebecca? Well, before I start with the division, I just want to comment on the fact that this is sort of the, the fallow period for NFL fans. I recommended that Daniel watch Colin Cowherd's uh, NFC in three words and AFC in three words, and he said... Those videos are outdated. One of them was done on April 30th, and the other one was done on May 1st. And I said, Daniel, it was done after the draft and free agency ended. And then we were both kind of sad because we realized nothing has really happened in the NFL since May 1st uh, a couple of months ago. Now, it, that's not exactly true because there have been all kinds of interesting things as contracts and as as I researched for this podcast, I realized that all kinds of interesting things have been happening with contracts from Julio Jones to Russell Wilson, but um, it still is the, the, the saddest time of the year to be an NFL fan. It's hot, and you can't watch football. That's true. Um, all right, let's go ahead and start with the NFC West. Uh, Rebecca, who do you have uh, for the NFC West? Well, I have at the bottom of the NFC West, I have the Arizona Cardinals. And, and this is going to come as, as no surprise. They have the dubious distinction of picking quarterbacks in the first round two years in a row. That kind of means that you didn't make a good pick with the first time. So, And maybe maybe they'll have more luck with Kyler Murray and, and Josh R- than they did with Josh Rosen. I think it's likely that they will. But... Two first-round picks in a row doesn't exactly spell stability for your team. And then now they have a, a new coach in Cliffs Kingsbury, and he was the coach of Texas Tech. So college football, we sometimes like to say that college football is basically a different sport. So, I mean, obviously he knows a lot about coaching, and I'm, I'm sure he knows a lot about the NFL, but I'm not sure that the transition to be an NFL coach is necessarily going to be seamless. So we have a rookie coach a rookie quarterback, and a team that last year was kind of weak on, on every single level. I was so excited in October. We, we went to Chicago for the weekend, and, oh, I turned on NFL Network in the hotel, and the game was the Cardinals versus somebody else. I can't even remember, but whoever the somebody else was really trounced the Cardinals. That, that was the Broncos. Oh, yes, and, and the Broncos, who weren't even that good last year. So I still was like, yay, I get to watch Monday Night Football on a TV, because at that point we didn't have a TV, and Monday Night Football is, as everybody knows, regardless of your TV situation, can be hard to find. And it was still fun to watch the Cardinals, but it definitely was probably the least interesting game to watch. So I think it's pretty safe to put them at team number four. <laughs> I remember that Monday Night game the uh, at halftime, I think, it was a, a very pretty much neck and neck between the Broncos offense and the Broncos defense as far as who had scored more points. I think uh, <laughs> I think the Broncos offense ended up winning winning that one, but it was it was tight. 
I just want to say one thing. When I was thinking about how to evaluate the various teams, there, there are a number of things to consider. One of them is how the team performed last year, what their schedule's like this year, who, who they've acquired and, and who they've lost. And all those factors, of course, make it hard to predict exactly. But the Arizona Cardinals are sort of on all fronts. Pretty, feel, pretty, pretty much feel confident about that, looking at the performance of last year, looking at who they got, all those factors that they're not going to do very well. Now, to your point about uh, Cliff Kingsbury coming out of a, a college, I, I think it's just hard to find a good NFL head coach, regardless of where you look. I think, uh, what are your options? Either you find an NFL head coach who's already been a head coach somewhere else and wasn't very successful, or you find somebody who's been an offensive or defensive coordinator and been successful, but then that's a different skill set from head coach, often. Um or you find somebody who's been a successful college coach, and, and as you said, there's a difference. And so it's just really hard to find a good NFL head coach anywhere, and, and you don't really know what you're going to get. So who knows? Cliff Kingsbury could turn out to be fantastic, or he could turn out to be, uh, you know, not so good. He could turn out to be terrible. So that's really uh, – uh, we, we don't really know. But what do you think about um, – what do you think about Kyler Murray? How do you think he's going to – uh, fit in with this offense, and will he uh, help turn the team around in any meaningful way? I think that he he's he's going to be a better fit for the team than, than Josh Rosen. It's not that I think Josh Rosen is, is a bad quarterback, but you know what? I when I was watching that game last year and and seeing Josh Rosen throwing to Larry Fitzgerald, it wasn't a picture that made me think this is a long term success. You know, Larry Fitzgerald's on his way out, Josh Rosen was looking like he didn't figure out how to get his way in to the NFL. So hopefully with Kyler Murray, they're going to be able to build a team around him. It's, it's a fresh start. So I think in a couple of years, we'll probably see a, a, a pretty strong team from the Arizona Cardinals. That, that they're, you know, they'll, they'll have to get Larry Fitzgerald, you know, will be gone. They'll, they'll have to get new players, and they can build a team around Kyler Murray. I also think that He's probably more talented than Josh Rosen. So I agree with you. I have the Cardinals ranked fourth as well. Um, I think Kyler Murray's going to be good. I think he's going to be scary uh, more than anything, uh, just like Lamar Jackson was scary. I don't think ultimately Lamar Jackson is that great of a quarterback. In fact, I don't predict that he's going to have a lot of long-term success. But for now, uh, there's not a team that isn't scared uh, to play him at because he's just different from what they're used to. I think Kyler Murray is going to be similar. Kyler Murray is like Lamar Jackson, except he has more arm talent. Uh, I know Peyton Manning hates the term arm talent, but uh, uh, I'm going to say it anyway. He can throw deep. You know, he can beat you deep. He can beat you on the ground. He, he's a scary guy because he can, you never know what you're going to get. And he's very, very fast. Um, that being said, I don't think even even if the Cardinals can beat any one team in the NFL, I don't think they can build enough consistent success to win in a very competitive division. Uh, so do you think that, as I said, last year uh, watching the Cardinals was like watching Josh Rosen attempt to make passes to Larry Fitzgerald and watching him get knocked over because he doesn't have any protection. Do you think that that's going to look any different? Are we just going to be seeing a lot of Kyler Murray being knocked down this year until they can get a team built around him? Or what, what will it be like to watch Kyler Murray this year? Oh, I don't think he's going to get knocked down. I think he's going to run. I think if, if there's pressure coming, I think he's going to 
start scrambling at the the first sign. I think he's not going to take very many sacks for that reason. I th- and again, for that reason, I think he's going to be a pretty scary quarterback and, and a really exciting and fun quarterback to watch. I just don't think that they're go- that he's going to have the production that any of the other three teams in that division are. Okay, so who do you have as number three? <laughs> All right, well, um, I, I, so for uh, number one, let, let me say first, I have the 49ers. Now, this one's a shocker maybe for a lot of people, but look, uh, the 49ers didn't have a starting quarterback for almost all of last year. They, they were missing Jimmy G. He was very successful to them uh, his first year with them. He was uh, successful for the two games he played with New England as well as a backup. Um, you know, he was hurt. He, he lost to the Vikings. Okay, so, uh, you know, the first game he played, lost to the Vikings. Then he beat the Lions, which wasn't a great team. Um, and then he lost to the Chiefs in a game where he tore his a- ACL. So there isn't any negative data on, on Jimmy G other than that he lost one game to the Vikings um, and, and won five games with them last year, won one game with them uh, in 2018. So I think he's going to be a very successful quarterback. Um, and, and people have such short memories. People... People thought this way about the Colts, too. People were ranking the Colts number 32 in the NFL. Well, we had our Andrew Luck back. Plus, we had Quentin Nelson and, uh, you know, Darius Leonard. People didn't know he was going to be good. But we, we had um, a very revamped offensive line. We had Andrew Luck back. There was no reason that we weren't going to be a very successful team. And yet people completely ignored that because we had done so poorly in 2017. Well, the reason we did poorly was because we didn't have Andrew Luck. And we didn't have an offensive line, and you know all all that other stuff as well. I'm not saying that it, the team isn't just one player, but look at the 49ers. We've got Kyle Shanahan is known for being one of the best coaches in the NFL. Okay, Jimmy G is known as somebody who can be and, and hasn't maybe fully proved himself yet, but certainly seems like he can be an excellent quarterback. Also, their running back Jarek McKinnon. He was missing all of last year or most of last year, and he's likely going to be back. Okay. Plus, we've now the the biggest concern that I have with the 49ers is their defense, and and I'm I'm not honestly sure that they're going to win this division. Um, if their defense were stronger, I would be all in on them. I'm not sure because uh, their secondary was one of the worst in the NFL. I think it had like three interceptions the whole season, something like that, maybe even two. Um, but they still have Richard Sherman who was a fantastic player for the Seahawks, is still a good player. Uh, They've moved Tarverius Moore to safety instead of corner, where he's uh, probably more effective. Um, They've brought in D. Ford. They've brought in Nick Boza to bolster their pass rush. And look, when you have a strong pass rush, that makes it a lot easier for the secondary to cover. Because if, if the quarterback has infinite time to pass, you can't cover that well. So... A strong pass rush is going to help that secondary a lot. Like I said, they still got Richard Sherman. Um, they're, if they have problems, it's going to be in the secondary. But uh, ultimately, I think they're going to have a lot of success in this uh, in this division. Even though it is, you know, we've got the Rams, we've got the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. But uh, I I have the 49ers at number one. So I have a tagline for each of the. NFC divisions and my my tagline for this division is that it's the division with the most variables in it. What about, you know, Todd Gurley's knee? Can 
Richard, Russell Wilson keep playing well. He's starting to get a little bit old as far as the NFL goes. Is Jimmy G this this astounding missing ingredient? Is Kyler Murray going to revolutionize the Cardinals? This is the division where it kind of seems like the most is up for grabs. There's the most questions, whereas some of the others is kind of clear. They're, they're more established trends of who's good and who's not as good. So I, I think that – but I, I think that the 49ers are going to do much better than 4-12 record from last year. The quarterback isn't everything, and, and people sometimes fixate too much on the quarterback. They think it's because it's a, just a very visible position, and it's easy to have everything ride on the quarterback because a good quarterback can make a huge difference. But, of course, we also we know that without a good offensive line, without good wide receivers, without a good defense, who, who cares about the quarterback? You have to have a complete team to succeed in the NFL. Uh, however... All that said, I agree with Colin Coward. I don't always agree with Colin Coward, but I agree with Colin Coward that the Jimmy G is is the missing ingredient. I'm enough of a conspiracy theorist to think there there was a reason why Tom Brady didn't want Jimmy G in New England. And basically, if Tom Brady's out to get you when you're on his team, he probably perceives you as a threat. And I think that I, I believe the conspiracy theory that Belichick wanted, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo to be Brady's successor, and Brady thought, well, I'm not quite, you know, I need to beat time a little bit more before I can have a successor, and and Jimmy G's too good too soon. I think that they will be able to get number two because this is a division that's pretty much for the taking. As I said, lots of variables. You can easily soar past the Cardinals and, you know, um, beat out Russell Wilson now that he doesn't have people like Richard Sherman and and you in fact have Richard Sherman on on your team and I think that the new players that they got I think they had a very good draft I I'm I'm from Columbus but I'm not necessarily a huge OSU fan but I will say this I always watch an OSU Michigan game and I always like seeing OSU players succeed in NFL and OSU players generally do quite well as far as, I mean, not always, but a lot of OSU players have done really well in the NFL, and I think Nick Bose is going to be one of them. They they seem to have what it takes a lot of the time to succeed in the NFL, and I think Nick Bose is going to be a, a really helpful ingredient. And as Daniel was just saying, um, one of their missing parts is a good defense. So they're starting to put, put, put it all together. And when you start to see a team put it all together, like the Colts did, started to do last year, you know that, Things are going to start happening. So you've got the Rams at number one, then. Uh, yes, yes, I do. I, I do. I, I'm concerned about what I, I think the exact wording from the trainer was that Todd Gurley's knee has an arthritic component. That's that's pretty concerning, but I think that Todd Gurley is quite committed to playing, uh, and we'll just we'll just see how it goes. There's not enough evidence that. The Rams aren't going to succeed for me to think that another team will unseat them in their division. I'm not putting Todd Gurley on my fantasy team this year. Oh, I wouldn't either. I mean, I don't play fantasy, but I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put him on my fantasy team either. I, I think that's a major concern. But the, one of the reasons why the Rams were able to succeed is that they do have that, that complete team. Now, my other concern with the Rams, and I'm interested to see what you think of this, is Jared Goff's leadership. And there, there are pros and cons about this. He took a lot of ownership for how they performed in the Super Bowl, but he's obviously no Pat Mahomes. I don't think that that's controversial. I also have a concern about Sean McVay being 
bit of a flash in a pan, like, you know, hot young offensive coach. But how long how long will he be able to sustain that? Maybe a long time, maybe not. But I just I just don't see other teams in the division having the same type of ingredients that the Rams do. Sean McVay, I don't know. I I don't want to bet against him, but there are there are uh, one concern I have with Sean McVay is his eagerness to go for it on fourth and long when he's pinned deep in his own territory. That's it. I think I think coaches overall in the league are getting smarter about going for it on fourth. It used to sort of be this, you know, even if it's fourth and one and you're uh, pretty much almost no matter where you are, you, you punt or you kick a field goal. Coaches have gotten a lot smarter than that. I give, I give Sean McVay a lot of credit for that. Uh, Bill Belichick as well gets credit for... Uh, kind of turning that trend around, but I think Sean McVay takes it too far. I've seen him. I've seen him gamble on fourth and long when he's deep in his own territory when he doesn't need to, and I think that's just that's just stupidity. That's not that's not playing smarter. That's uh, playing flashier and dumber. Um, so so as far as the Rams go, I, I they're good. They're good. They're going to be good. Um, the reason I don't have them at number one is because of Todd Gurley. Also, their offensive line is weaker now. That, for example, they've lost Roger Stafford to the Titans. They've lost a, a couple of other components. I think. Um, look, if you don't have a strong offensive line, things go sour very fast in the NFL. We see it so often. I mean, look at the Texans. They were a successful team, but ultimately, they, they collapsed, and I think it was partly because of their offensive line. Obviously, made it to the playoffs, but got got trounced there. Um, I don't think they're going to be as good because of their offensive line as well. Uh, the Colts, once they revamped their offensive line, that was a huge component of our success last year. I think the offensive line is, is one of the most important components of a team. Obviously, Rams still have McVay. They still have Goff, who's a good quarterback. I, I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he deserves all the credit for his team's success. I think that's more McVay and. Uh, McVeigh and uh, Todd Gurley on the offense, uh, but I do think he's an important component of it as well. Although he played terribly in the Super Bowl, um, but you know you can have one terrible game, that's fine. Um, they also lost uh, some defensive components. They lost uh, safety Lamarcus Joyner to the Raiders. They lost defensive tackle Nadimakungi, whatever you pronounce this name, Sue. Starts with an N and then a D. How do you how do you pronounce an N followed by a D? I don't even know. Damakang Sue, I think, he's he was on the Lions before, so I've I've watched him for a while. Nadamakan, is that how you said it? I'm probably not saying it quite right. But okay, so there's th- there needs to be a vowel between the N and the D. That's just not fair. Well, in English, but it's not an English name, so we can't expect it to follow English rules. Where does it come from? I have no idea, but it, I I I'm confident that it's not English. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, well, anyway. They've lost him anyway. I guess he's on the on the Buccaneers now. So, uh, yeah, what did you want to say? Well, I just wanted to say that I'm not sure that my football instincts are always geared to zero in on the most important moments, but it is true that some of the moments that stick with me from games that I watched last season tend to pinpoint certain qualities in my mind about players and coaches. And Sean McVay stupidly going for it, it is, is definitely something that's, that's kind of seared into my mind. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, why are you doing that, as to the TV when we watched him uh, do that during games. 
So it's not that I think that the Rams are that everything's hunky dory in the franchise. I just think that things are definitely less hunky dory in Arizona. That the 49ers have a lot of. I mean, I think Jimmy G is great, but they they obviously have a lot of work to do. We were just talking about how their defense is something that needs to be built up. And I'm not convinced that the Seahawks have what it takes. So, so I'll talk about the Seahawks now. The, the advantages that the Seahawks have, they have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. They've had both of them for a while. There, there's lots of stability, consistency there. And Russell Wilson recently became the NFL's highest paid player. So the Seahawks put a lot of stock in Russell Wilson. And a lot of that seems merited. But it seems like in some ways, and, and, and sometimes I worry that this is the same way for the Pittsburgh Steelers, that, that a certain era has ended, um, that they're being um, outshone by other teams, certainly by the, the Rams uh, last year, and there's a great possibility that they'll be uh, overshadowed by the 49ers this year. It's not the easiest division in the league, that, that's for sure. And they no longer have their, their astounding defense that got them to uh, a couple Super Bowls in the early 2010s. That, that defense has largely um, disintegrated. And, and th- that's the same thing that happened to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the you know, first, the, like about a decade or ago. They, they had a really strong defense, and that, that's largely gone now for both. Th- those, all those players are gone from the Steelers, and pretty much all of them are, are gone from the Seahawks. So that's why I put the Seahawks at number three. And before we move on to the next division, just, just so uh, everyone can be on the same page, I'll go through my rankings, and then you can go through your rankings just so we can uh, just go over that one more time. So I have Los Angeles Rams at number one. I have San Francisco 49ers at number two. I have Seattle Seahawks at number three, and I have Arizona Cardinals at number four. All right, and I've I've switched the top two. So I've got the 49ers at number one. I've got the Rams and the Seahawks for pretty much all the reasons you said. Um, that Russell Wilson's good. He's probably, honestly, the best quarterback in this division. I, I haven't seen enough from Jimmy Garoppolo to think he's better than Russell Wilson. He's a very good quarterback. I think he's better than Jared Goff. Um, I just don't think there's enough else on the team to, to push them over the top. So I've got uh, 49ers, one. Rams too because they're still going to be good. They were they were great last year. They're they're not going to be a bad team this year. 49ers, Rams, Seahawks and then Cardinals. All right, what about the uh, NFC South? I've got uh, my number 1. It has to be the Saints, right? I mean, I don't think that they've lost that much from last year. Obviously, you know, lost Mark Ingram, but they still have Alvin Kamara. They've still got Drew Brees, they've still got Michael Thomas, they've still got Sean Payton. They still have a strong offensive line. They were undefeated at home, I believe, last year. Um, oh, did they have one loss? Maybe they had one loss. Um, well, obviously in the playoffs. Um, but they they were 13-3. and three. I mean, that's th- there's nothing that they have lost that's that makes me think that they're not going to be the strongest team in the NFC again this year. I also have the Saints at number one. Now, there there are some concerns that I have with the Saints. One is that Drew Brees, it's now Drew Brees versus time, just like Tom versus time. Drew Brees is 40. Now we're, we're about to turn 40. 
I, I can't think of a catchy way to say that. I, I tried to think of Drew versus Time things that sounded catchy, but it, it just doesn't sound as good as Tom versus Time. But same concept. They have had, but, so so there's there's Drew versus Time. There's also the fact that they did kind of fall apart at the end, before the playoffs. They did kind of fall apart at the end of last season. Now they did have some tough games that, and, um, some of well, one of which they ended up pulling off against the Steelers, but they, they they had a tough schedule near the end, and they definitely felt it. That's when they had all their losses near the end of the season. But I think that there are two things that make me think, besides all the the things that you just said about how they haven't really lost that much, they are a really good team, especially compared to the other teams in their division. There are two additional reasons that make them solidly at number one in, in my book. They're coming off of two playoff losses in a row. Really bad playoff losses. Losses that make the fans, you know, just weep into the stands. And I, I, I just think it's so interesting that that lawsuit is still going about the call that was made last year and that propelled the Rams into the Super Bowl. Uh, I, 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 f I find that really interesting. And so I think that that really gives them something to fight for. We just can't let this happen. We have to give Drew Brees another shot at a Super Bowl ring before time defeats him. And the other reason is they finally had a defense last year. That, and that's been what's plagued the Saints. The Saints have been good for a while. It's just that you need a defense in the NFL, contrary to what some reporters were saying at midseason last year. You do need a defense. And so they finally had a defense last year. They were doing great. And so they still have that defense, as you were just pointing out, and they have a lot to fight for because they don't want to have to do an, a second lawsuit uh, <laughs> to try to win a playoff game. Can I just say about the lawsuit thing, I love politics and I love football, but I think they need to be kept separate. Uh, I, And this is why I don't like it when Donald Trump tries to politicize football. This is why I don't like it when, uh, uh, what's that, that, quarterback on the 49ers used to play i don't like it when colin kaepernick tries to politicize this thing i don't like it when tom brady tries to get a federal judge to overturn his suspension and i don't like it when the saints try to sue another team uh for information about why this call went wrong or sue the refs or whatever it was i think this is i think it's ridiculous i think football is a game it's a sport it's something we do for fun it's not something we need to bring the feds in for but it, it was the wrong call it was the wrong well, yeah, it was the wrong call, but you like, you talk to Roger Goodell about that. You don't talk to like the freaking you know Supreme Court. Actually, they're trying to keep it out of the federal courts. They're trying to keep it in state court because they want uh, the Louisiana courts to be able to decide this. Is that that seems that seems a little uh, sketchy to me as well? That you want you you want the state you know where all of the the judges are probably cheering for you uh, to to be the ones deciding. I'm sure there's, there's also economic reasons motivating this, too, because ha had they gone to the Super Bowl and, and even won it, that definitely would have meant a lot of extra money for the Saints. So you could argue that there are economic factors at play that would. But 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 it's also what once once a winner has been decided, like what are they going to do? Have the Rams franchise give them millions of dollars and estimate of how much they would have lost? It doesn't really work the same way as it as other types of lawsuits. Yeah, there's there's economic uh, consequences to bad calls, sure, but there's nothing. There, there's no contract that says like the NFL is contractually obligated to have good refs. I, I mean, 
and ha- <laughs> like it's not the job of a state judge to decide that a ref is so bad that this constitutes some sort of violation of the laws. That's just like there isn't a law about that. Um, I, I think like the NFL has had horrible refs all of all of this last season. There are so many missed calls in so many games that you know to pick one call for the government to step in and say, well, this is too bad. Um, but all the other ones are okay, really. So like once the government steps in and says we're going to try to get involved because a ref made a bad call, then you know what happens in a when a high school state championship gets you know there's a bad call by some ref there. Was he going to go to jail or you know whatever they, whatever the government is going to do about this? I, I I just think it's ridiculous. Well, that was our brief interlude of politics into our football themed <laughs> podcast. My my tagline for this division is that there's a clear top team. The Saints, I w- I, I'm confident in asserting the Saints are better than any other team in this division, unlike the NFC West, which we were just talking about, where there are all kinds of variables. There's a clear top team. That doesn't mean that they necessarily will be number one like we're predicting because you can always be surprised, but I think they are clearly better than any other team in, in the division. I might even go so far as to say the Saints are the best team in the NFL. What do you think about that? Well, Partly I have to overcome some personal animus toward the Saints. I actually feel really ambivalent about them. It's not like the pure, undiluted hatred that I feel for the Patriots. It's a, a deep ambivalence because there are some players on the Saints I really I really like watching them play. You were just mentioning Alvin Kamara. I like watching him play. I like watching other players. I like watching Drew Brees play, and it's always nice to have quarterbacks that are good other than Tom Brady because then you can say, ha here's a record that Tom Brady doesn't have. But we can never forget Bounty Gate and the fact that they beat the Colts, even though I didn't like the Colts as much when that actually happened. And Drew Brees can be kind of annoying sometimes. Like When he got whatever record he got last season, he said this weird nonsensical speech to his children on the sidelines. So I just, I mean, not, not, that, not, not that that disqualifies him for anything because any, any um, football player spouts a whole bunch of nonsense at some point during the season. We, d- we don't really watch football for football players' rhetorical coherence, except for Andrew Luck, because, you know, secretly Andrew Luck is a philosophy professor, but. <laughs> yes, I, w- what was it Drew Brees said? I think he said something like, if you work hard enough, you can do anything you want or something like that to his two little boys. It was something like that, but it was it was delivered in such a, well, obviously staged and silly fashion. I mean, and I'm, Drew Brees probably felt compelled to do something because, of course, the cameras are just hovering right in front of his children's faces. But it just it just felt it felt very weird. It was a weird moment to me, which, again, I was rejoicing that that Drew Brees had gotten a record that Tom Brady hadn't. But it was just it, it was a silly moment. Yeah, I wasn't super rejoicing because he broke Peyton Manning's record for that, for most passing yards, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about the Saints too because of of Bounty Gate and the fact that they beat the Colts. But uh, you know, Bounty Gate—the only person who I still blame for that—is Sean Payton. So I don't like him, but uh, I do like Drew Brees. Um, you know, from Purdue, so that's cool. Uh, okay, so so and I do I I think they're probably the top team in the NFL. I'd probably go if I had to pick right now. I'd say Saints, Patriots, Chiefs, Colts as the top four. Um, what do you think? I think that I, I'm not confident at this point of pronouncing a top team in the NFL. I could probably give you a top five. I just want to say here as a little jab at Colin Coward, he probably would say the Patriots, but he's going to say the Patriots every single year just because that that's who he is. So part of me wants to say the Steelers, but it's the same impulse that makes Colin Coward say the Patriots. Just partisanship. 
Well, the Patriots do uh, annoyingly keep winning Super Bowls, so so you got you've got to give them you got to throw them a bone for that, I guess. <laughs> That's true, but he he just always says it, even if there's reason to think, e- even if there's uh, there's ups and downs to the Patriots season. I mean, they don't win the Super Bowl. It's hard to remove ourselves from the the pain and agony of the last three years of watching the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and then win two of the, out of the three in the last three years, but. They're not always in the Super Bowl. It's true. It's true. Okay, so uh, number two, I have the Falcons. Uh, Matt Ryan uh, is going to be – last year he had 4,924 yards, 35 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Those are fantastic stats. How did they go seven and nine with a quarterback like that? I think the Falcons 2018 are living proof that – uh, your quarterback does not determine everything about the team. But they had a lot of injuries. Um, they're, uh, Calvin Ridley's now in his second year. Julio, we've got Julio Jones. They're running back. Devonta Freeman missed most of 2018. He should be back. Uh, they've upgraded their offensive line. Uh, the defense is still a bit of a concern. But, again, the offensive line, uh, like I said, uh, with the Rams and with the 49ers, is one of the most important aspects of a team. So... I think, why do you have a quarterback as good as Matt Ryan and not have a winning record? I think it's probably largely the offensive line, the defense, and, uh, and you know, your running back, too. So you, we've got a running back back. Uh, you've got your offensive line upgraded. It should be better this year. I think they're going to be a scary, dangerous team. Like I said, the defense is a concern. So uh, that's uh, – and I don't – for that reason – if, if nothing else, uh, I don't think they're going to be as good as the Saints. But I think they're going to be a number two team in this division for sure. I also have them at, at number two, so we're sinking. Uh, well, at least so far we're in sync on this division. I think for the, Fal- for the Falcons, they're obviously capable of playing well. They were in the Super Bowl in 2017, and they have a great quarterback, as you were just saying. My two concerns with them – is that, well, they have a decently tough schedule. They're playing the AFC South, uh, so they're going to have to go against the Colts, the Titans, the Texans, the Jaguars. Who knows how good some of those teams will be this year, but it's not the easiest schedule. And they also, they kind of, they're having the, we have a really big star wide receiver slash running back who wants a lot of money, which is a endemic problem in the NFL at this moment, but Julio Jones once they they still haven't worked out uh, his his contract, and um, he wants a contract extension that would make him the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. So, as a Steelers fan, I just start to get weary of it when these 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 players are demanding tons of money and and being being drama seekers and. Uh, Rather than necessarily being team players, it, they kind of seem like they're really focused on getting a bunch of money for themselves. That can be bad for a team's culture, and I think can 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 even end up affecting the the win loss record if there's a lot of focus on money for individual players. As much as I dislike Tom Brady, I'll always say that he does not have that mindset. He is willing. He is not about trying to make the most money for Tom Brady. He just he just wants to win. That that's what he's about. So I I think that that's something that's going around, been in the water in the NFL, people wanting tons and tons and tons of money because they think they're, they're divas. 
I'm not saying that's necessarily the case with Jones, but as a Steelers fan, I'm going to be particularly gun shy of, of when I when I see that happening. Now, as far as the third team that I have, it's it's the Carolina Panthers. I've never been a huge fan of Cam Newton a as a player. I, I don't know anything about him as a person, but. He was number one overall, and the no only number one overall quarterback that I really like or actually think lived up to the number one overall rating is Peyton Manning. They generally tend to be decent, but not the most extraordinary players that you would think from the distinction of being number one overall. His passer rating is 86.4, which is significantly lower than a lot of elite quarterbacks. And the Steelers just you know, chewed up the Panthers and spit them out last year. I think that may have, that game may have been more – that game was the game last year, in my mind, where the Steelers were as good in reality as they were on paper. So that game may have been more about the Steelers, may have say more about the Steelers than it does about the Panthers. They, they beat the Panthers 52-21. to 21. Uh, and, you know, that was starting to be in the important months, the later fall, when, when teams are really establishing itself and themselves. And the, the Panthers had done – pretty well and then that was the moment when the Panthers started their season started to, to go off the rails so I have two questions for you regarding the Panthers um, first well three first of all where how, how how do you have them ranked and then uh, secondly where do you think that Christian McCaffrey fits among elite running backs because I think that's an important question for figuring out where we should put uh, the, the, the Panthers obviously I think he's he's a good running back but I think there are a lot of good running backs in the NFL right now and then also I'd be interested in hearing what you think about the Steelers versus Panthers game where does that say more about the Steelers or does that tell us something about the weaknesses of the Panthers too the Panthers were the only team that the Steelers were that good against I th and that was actually a turning point for last season uh, you know Cam Newton did make it to a Super Bowl so you do have to give him that that's true but uh, I think you're right that game, when I think about the Panthers, of course that was the only game of theirs that I watched last season, so it's easy for me to say that, but that's the game I think about. But I think that was also a turning point in the season where everyone thought the Panthers were going to be this pretty strong contending team, and it turned out they lost that game, and then they just kept losing after that. Um, I don't see them doing it any better this year. Christian McCaffrey, I think... I think he's a fantastic running back from what I hear. Um, again, I haven't watched much of him, but uh, from what I've been reading, it seems like he's uh, probably a top five or ten running back in the NFL. So where do you have them in the division? <laughs> All I've got them is three. I mean, I don't really have a choice here. The Saints have to be number one. Falcons have to be number two. And Bucks have to be number four. So so you you almost don't have a choice. So so just like we were just saying, does that game say more about the Steelers, about the Panthers, or does that ranking say more about the other teams in the division than, than the Panthers themselves? They just sort of fit around the other teams. The they're, they're less bad than the Buccaneers, and they are significantly worse than the Falcons and the Saints. Yeah, I mean, I think the number three is a good spot for the Panthers, though. I mean, I think they'd probably be number three in any division. That's true. They're, they're kind of a number number three team. We have a quarterback that's that's good but not elite, and they have some good components, but they don't really have a standout team culture. Or, you know, just th th there's nothing w with the Saints. There's a whole storyline in terms of how 
motivated they are to get that those playoff wins after losing uh, twice in a row. Th- there's a lot that they're really fighting for. Now, not that there are not a lot of rabid Panthers fans who want them to win, but there's a lot going for the Saints. The Panthers do have fewer rabid fans just because they're a more recent expansion team. That's true. Yeah, th- there's not a, the loyalty doesn't run quite as deep. So let, let's talk about... And, and the other thing, I don't know how, how true this is uh, for all of the Panthers fans in general, but all the Panthers fans we know care a lot more about college football. Yeah, they like they like Clemson more than they like the Panthers. Well, that that kind of takes us straight to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers were were fun to watch. I think I probably watched more Buccaneers than I than I did Panthers because of the quarterback carousel that was happening last year. It's like, who are we going to get? Are we going to get uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick or are we going to get uh, Jameis Winston? And just a little sidebar here, the Dolphins are going to be really interesting to watch because now we have, you know, the carousel, different carousel going on uh, with the Dolphins with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Case Keenum. No, not Case Keenum. Who is generic? Josh Rosen. Oh, right. Generic white quarterback. (laughs) I know two two generic white quarterbacks are going to be on the carousel um, uh, for the Dolphins. You know what I find interesting about this, this quarterback carousel? The idea that, you know, you've got this problem, right? You've got two quarterbacks who are very inconsistent, and you never know which one's going to show up and play on a given day. And so the way you fix that problem is you just get rid of one of them. Well, now now we've got one inconsistent quarterback, and we don't have the hope of having another co- quarterback come in and save the day if, if Winston doesn't play well. So, I, I mean, you've, you've got this, this uh, who's our quarterback situation, and that's that's not healthy, but then... The way you solve it is just by getting rid of your best, you know, probably one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, I don't understand that. I agree with that. It doesn't seem like a good move to get rid of Ryan Fitzpatrick because Ryan Fitzpatrick is capable of producing some big moments. It does seem like the Miami Dolphins are a good fit for him because they are producing capable of producing big moments, but they can never, ever beat the Patriots in their division. I'm sympathetic to the Buccaneers just saying we have one quarterback, that's who we're going with, and removing that, who are we going to see on Sunday afternoon problem? The teams need stability. But there are concerns about Jameis Winston. I don't think he's bad, but he's no Drew Brees. And, and that's from the point of ranking teams in the division. That he's not even, I don't even think he, he's, he's Cam Newton. He's he's just decent, probably better than some of the journeymen floating around the NFL, like Case Keenum. But I, I, um, but there's really nothing to go on either. That we have haven't seen anything super consistent from him. There's also the question of is Bruce Arians even a good coach? I was reading some propaganda website for the Buccaneers. Oh, look at all these interesting things that Bruce Arians did. But the truth is, Bruce Arians coming from the Cardinals, where he he, he didn't do too much of anything now I did look at the Buccaneers draft picks and they they did seem to get a lot of defensive players and trying to patch up various holes in their team but that's not going to make them soar past the Saints Bruce Arians was a very good interim head coach for the Indianapolis Colts um I don't think Chuck Pagano was a good coach and yet uh Arians and Pagano together 
won Coach of the Year. And partly that was because of the it was you know very nice story about how Pagano was overcoming cancer and uh, Arian stepped in and, and did very well. But he did do a very a very good job. Arians did. Um, I don't know why he didn't do as well with the Cardinals, uh, but we'll see what he can do with uh, with Winston in in Tampa Bay again. I don't give him a lot of chances in this division, but it's a very hard division with the Saints and the Falcons on top. Okay, so brief rundown of how and and on this we were in alignment. We have Saints number one, Falcons number two, Panthers number three. And Buccaneers, number four. It'd be interesting to see if there's anybody out there who would rank that differently because this seems, as I said, my tagline for this was, there's a clear top contender. Yeah, there's a clear top contender. There's a clear number two, a clear number three, and a clear number four. What is your tagline for the NFC North? So the NFC North is one of my favorite divisions to watch. I think part of that's because they're the sister division, in a sense, to the, the AFC North. And I think there are there are some similarities betr- between the two divisions. They're all average or above average. We don't have any like, wow, this team is really, really bad in the NFC North. And I guess we have had... The ha- Lions? Well, yes. But even the Lions have sparks of stuff that's good. Now, of course, the AFC North, until relatively recently, had a team that, that would fit into the, we're really, really, really bad. But I'm talking the current AFC North. Everyone's kind of average or above average. The Buccaneers have sparks of really, really good. The Dolphins beat the Patriots. They have sparks of really, really good. I don't think that's enough to say the team is average. Well, the record was 6-10 and ten last year, the Lions' record. So they're definitely better than a lot of other teams in the NFL. They weren't, you know, 4-12. They, 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 they don't necessarily get, you know, 500 records, but they're not going 2-14. and 14. Okay, so they're not abysmal. Below average, definitely, but not abysmal. Well, but I think this is a division that it doesn't really have any. The point I'm trying to make is there's not really a standout team in the division. And as much as I hate to say that, that's kind of the case for the Steelers as well. Um, the Steelers division, the AFC North, there's not really a standout team. We're always trying to inch past the Ravens and the, the Bengals will seem like they're about to inch past us. And now that the Browns have some more weapons, it, it's kind of the same thing. The, you know, the tie versus the Browns that started off this, the Steelers' season last year. So this, this, But this division is fun to watch because there is a, a lot of heritage and legacy with some of these teams, like the Steelers. The Packers are one of the oldest teams in the NFL. They have these really long-standing, loyal fan bases. So it's a fun division to watch. And, and of course, they're the team that always plays on Thanksgiving, which is a, an optimal time for watching football. You have yummy food, good weather for football, and what do you, What else would anybody want to do on Thanksgiving besides watch football? I mean, that's you watch an OSU-Michigan game, and then you watch the Detroit Lions play somebody. That's what you do on Thanksgiving. So, Speaking of the Detroit Lions, I have them as number four because, as you just said, they, they are, like, they're not abysmal, but they're, they're not great. I would label Matt Patricia as suffering from the Patriots curse, which means that no one who comes from Bill Belichick's coaching lineage is going to do well as a head coach. Boy, was it fun watching the Lions beat the Patriots last season, though. Oh, yes, I loved that so much. That was a fantastic game. I was... Cheering myself hoarse during that game. That 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 was that was a lot of fun. I I loved that. So Matt Matt Patricia is suffering from the Patriots curse. 
And I just have to say this about Matt Patricia because it, it's something that needs to be said every time Matt Patricia um, gets brought up. When we were watching the Super Bowl, Eagles versus Patriots Super Bowl, our, our pastor was so angry about the fact that Matt Patricia has a pencil behind his ear at all times but has a laminated piece of paper. And I don't know if you ever tried to write in pencil on a laminated piece of paper. It does not work. So this weird pencil with a laminated paper, it just it just may be a, a metaphor, an image for what's wrong with his coaching style. He can't get the pencil uh, put on paper. He has uh, Colin Cowherd's summary of the Detroit Lions is Patriots without winning. And that's kind of mean, but it's it's also kind of true. The other thing is, I, I, I hate to say this because he kind of seems like a, a, a decent guy, but Matt, Matthew Stafford is overpaid. He's no, no longer he, – he must not be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL anymore because I read that Russell Wilson is now the highest-paid player overall, but he still is paying way too much. He's making significantly more than Tom Brady. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So they're, they're paying Matthew Stafford too much, and that kind of shows that if the money's not working out the way it should, that often kind of indicates – bigger problems with the teams and the other thing is as I was saying like there's certain moments from last season that stick out in my mind the Lions did not look at all impressive over Thanksgiving last year well yeah I've got the Lions at number four as well um there's nothing really new that's happened I mean you look at the Lions websites try to find articles uh, saying that there's some sort of hope and they're they all say one version or another of this there's hope for the Lions because we're fans and we have to cheer for them and uh, they can't be bad forever, right? Th that's it. That's that's the only reason. If you go to a, go to the Lions, the biggest fan website you can find, try to find an article arguing for why there's hope. It's essentially going to be a version of that. By the way, I love I love those sites. Sometimes they're they're so that they tug at my heartstrings because they're trying so hard to be hopeful. You've gone to a Bills fan website midseason. It, it's just clinging to every last shred of hope, hopelessly partisan, hopelessly biased. But it's just so it's so in, in a world that that often pretends to be objective. It's so reassuring to go to, you know, Ramsfansforever.com and just see or whatever NFL team and just see these these extreme displays of loyalty. It, it, it really does my heart good. So for the same reason, essentially, that I have the Vikings ranked, uh, th that I have the Lions ranked fourth, I have the Vikings ranked third. Uh, again, there's there's just nothing really new about this team. We know what they are, and it's not that great. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, at least with the current quarterbacks who are in the league right now. He's certainly not top ten, maybe top sixteen. But th what does that say that you're? You know, being in the top half doesn't get you into the playoffs, right? Um, you know, they, they've th there's nothing about the Vikings team that stands out to me like, wow, this this team is going to be great. Yeah, uh, Kirk Cousins. I'm not convinced that he's any better than Case Keenum. He's one of the group that I call generic white quarterback that sort of just floats around the NFL and, you, you know, they're, they're, they're not really that remarkable. And they all kind of look the same, too. I think the Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins look fairly similar. Um, so about the Vikings, I, I also have them ranked three. Adam Thielen is good for fantasy teams. He's a decent wide receiver. He'd be a good person to put on your fantasy team. That doesn't mean that the Vikings are going anywhere in the playoffs, but they do have players like Adam Thielen, you know, who, who are good. 
And they have players that are have had some good moments but aren't necessarily good. So I love the Minneapolis Miracle. It, w- it was a beautiful moment. Um, it, it was it was fun to watch live, but Stefan Diggs really isn't that good. Uh, uh, they don't really have a lot going for them. I, I didn't go to the Vikings fan websites to see what dredges of hope they're pulling up, but they don't really have a lot to go on. And I just need to say one more thing about Kirk Cousins. Uh, we saw his 4th of July grilling picture today where it looks like, well, it's, it's hard to tell what he's grilling. You're not sure if it's some elaborate type of tofu or just like a little mound of something. But He eventually confirmed it was steak, but it did not look like steak. Which, for having that much money, again, like he's um, grossly overpaid. You would think that he would buy, he would know how to grill more. I don't even think he was using a charcoal grill. Uh, but you think he would know how to grill better? Uh, he could he could pay for grilling classes or pay to get a good grill or or whatever. But there was a lot of speculation about what he was grilling, and I really liked his response. His response was basically, "I know, guys, this is a really slow time in football," which is goes back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. Nothing has really changed in football since May first, which is really sad because it's almost the end of July. Uh, so so I gotta like Kirk Cousins for that for giving us something to talk about which is the weird stuff that was on his grill but hopefully you know there will be there will be more to talk about very soon all right so we've got the vikings at three lions at four who do you have at number one bears or packers they're opening the season by the way yes i have the bears because i like the bears the bears are evidence of my thesis that defensive teams can still be good I'm not saying the Bears are amazing, but this is a an average slash below average slash slightly above average division, so someone's got to win it. And I think the Bears have a decent chance, and they won it last year, and that means that they they haven't really changed that much since last year. Hopefully their kicker is better, <laughs> whatever kicker they have. So the Bears are probably going to be good this year. They have an amazing defensive core. Khalil Mack is fantastic. Look at any of his stats. Now, Colin Cowherd, however, is skeptical about teams that that have, not teams that have strong defenses, but teams about which their defenses are their their strongest point. (coughs) So, you know, he says the, the Ravens are the AFC version of this, the Bears are the NFC version of this. But, that doesn't mean, again, that obviously doesn't mean that they can't win their division. And I I can see them succeeding. Maybe not beating the Saints, but I, c- I can see them succeeding against, if you put them one-to-one against almost all the other teams and the NFC. My one concern is the hiring of Chuck Pagano. I think you're less worried about this than I am. I just think Chuck Pagano was not good for the Colts long-term. Now, as we were discussing earlier, a defensive coordinator is a different skill set than a head coach. But I'll be interested to see how that goes, especially because Chuck Pagano is now in charge of what I think is the strongest component on the Bears. I just hope he doesn't ruin it. All right, so um, in Chuck Pagano's defense, he did go uh, 11-5 and five two seasons with the Colts, uh, plus his first season, which I, I credit that more to Bruce Arians. Um and then, and then he went, I think eight and eight, eight and eight, and then uh, four and twelve or something like that. So uh, I, I was 
by the time they hired him for his last season or kept him on, I was I was ready to get rid of him. Uh, there's no way with Andrew Luck that you should be going eight and eight. Uh, <coughs> but I think offensive coordinator or, or defensive coordinator and, and head coach are different skill sets. I think he's going to be a good defensive coach. However, that doesn't mean I think he's going to be as good of a defensive coach as Vic Fangio. So Vic Fangio is something special. Vic Fangio's uh, style is complicated. There's a lot of complex coverage. There's um, They only blitz a fifth of the time, which is one of the lowest in the NFL. They, they rely a lot on coverage. They still manage to get a lot of pressure even without blitzing. Uh, so it's sort of a Nick Saban style of uh, defense. He's, Vic Fangio has said that he's trying to react to changes in how offenses work, the fact that there are fewer, less use of fullbacks, uh, more use of you know having more receivers on the field, spreading it out a little bit more. Vic Fangio is working really hard to try to react to that and adjust defense accordingly, and I think he's last season showed how good he was at that. I think Vic Fangio is a fantastic hire to the Broncos. Like I said, you never know what you're getting when you hire a successful offensive or defensive coordinator. But I think Fangio has shown that he's able to uh, think very uh, deeply. He's very you know, football smart, as they like to say. Uh, he's able to draw up plays very well. He's able to uh, coach his players to do it well. I think the 12-4 and record with uh, probably an average quarterback, I mean, Mitch Trubisky, I, I definitely don't think he deserved to play in the Pro Bowl. He's not great. His team was great. And so when I think fans vote, they see a, a great team, and, and you know go, they go 12-4, and four and they say, oh, well, the quarterback must deserve to play, get in the Pro Bowl after this. Well, no. No, I mean, l- look at Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Dak Prescott. All of these players, I think, are better than, uh, be- better than uh, Mitch Trubisky. Um, Cam Cam Newton's probably better. Uh, maybe even Jimmy Swinson. I don't know. Um, so he he's good, but not but not great. Um, so so I'm concerned about losing Vic Fangio. Pagano relies more on blitzing. He's he's a good but not great defensive coordinator. And uh, when defense is your strong suit, you have to be really really strong on defense. I don't think they're going to be that way anymore. It's when you have a different coach with a different style, you have the same players, but it is a different defense. Um, Matt Nagy is a creative play caller. He's an exciting coach to watch. He's a fun coach. He's a player's coach. Everyone likes him. He obviously did a great job with the team, but he's very offensively focused. He lets the defensive coordinator take care of the the whole defense. And so I I think Pagano is going to have his – I don't want to say have his hands full because he obviously has a, a lot to work with, a lot of great players, but but Pagano's not going to be able to replicate Vic Fangio's success just because Fangio is something special and Pagano has a different style. And, you know, I've been going back and forth on this. Um, do I put the Bears or the Packers number one? I think because the Bears are relying on their defense, it's harder to win consistently if you don't have – an airtight defense. But you can beat any team with defense, as we saw with the Cowboys against the Saints. You, there's not If you have a great defense, look, the Jaguars shut out the Colts. You know, they only had to score six points. There's not a team that you can't beat with a great defense. But can you win consistently? No, because 
if if the other if your defense slips up, your offense can't can't compensate for it. And so, I, I don't think uh, I don't think the Bears are going to be able to replicate their success. I, I maybe they'll be nine and seven, ten and six. Packers, I have a lot of question marks about them as well. Uh, number one, Matt Lafleur. I don't know what you think of him as a coach. Um, hiring uh, as a hire, I don't think this was a good hiring decision. I think we we took Matt Lafleur Matt Lafleur because he was somehow associated with Cliff uh, not Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Kyle Shanahan with with Sean McVay. But what success did he actually have, even as an offensive coordinator? To say nothing of um, as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator for the for the Titans, he was very mediocre. I don't think he's going to be a great coach for the Packers. I think that picking Matt LaFleur shows a desire to side with Aaron Rodgers. And there's a lot of scuttlebutt that basically the team has picked Aaron Rodgers, picked Aaron Rodgers over Mike McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers is not always necessarily an easy player to work with. And picking an offensively minded person is the team. I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. Now, I have the Packers at number two because there's a lot, as you were just saying, there's a lot of question marks. There are a lot of question marks with the Packers, even though the Bears now have a big question mark in terms of how how is Chuck Pagano going to take this defense into the next season. There are even more question marks with the Packers. When you have a head coach that's been there for a long time, and, and Mike McCarthy's been there for close to a decade, it's often, or, or, or maybe even longer, it's often a rebuilding year with, with the new head coach. And also, while Aaron Rodgers is an elite quarterback, we have a, a sort of favorite talking point about Aaron Rodgers that we say that he plays he plays pretty football. Football that these beautiful Hail Mary, you know, beautifully curved uh balls to the end zone but he doesn't always deliver and I'm not sure that he can can keep on delivering he didn't have a good the last year it's like okay Aaron Rodgers is back let's see how awesome he is but he, he wasn't even that good and and overall I don't find the Packers roster that impressive whereas with the Bears there are some really impressive components of their roster so it's interesting that you see the hiring of Matt, um, that guy, Matt LaFleur, that you see that as siding with Rodgers. Uh, I actually didn't see it that way because uh, from what I understand, Rodgers wasn't uh, consulted in the hiring decision. And uh, from what I understand, he wasn't very happy with that decision. Um, I don't know that LaFleur is somebody who has earned Rodgers' respect yet. And Rodgers is the kind of quarterback where you have to earn his respect. He's not going to respect you because you're his coach, like somebody like Andrew Luck would. You know, I, I, I appreciate that about Luck, that he he, do, he wants to do his job and he wants to let the coach do the coach's job. Rodgers does not. And uh, w one of the, th the things I've been reading about is that Matt LaFleur has a very, uh, very rigid system for play calling. He will give, you know, two plays to the quarterback with specific parameters for how the quarterback will choose based on what he sees and the quarterback is expected to go along with that and make a decision about which of those two play you know you only have two to choose from and you're told how you have to decide Aaron Rodgers will call his own plays you know this is part of why he got into fights with Mike McCarthy because he was going to do his own thing and uh, he wants to he wants this to be his offense 
Matt LaFleur wants this to be his offense. Look, I think if you want to decide with Rodgers, honestly, maybe you'd pick a defensive coach so that Rodgers can, can essentially lead the offense. Now, um, so, so I, the biggest question mark that I, I have with the Packers right now is will Rodgers and Matt LaFleur get along? If they do, I think it's going to be because they both know that it needs to happen. I think Rodgers is, you know, I think he wants to win. Um, he's a good enough quarterback to win, and uh, the Packers are clearly in win-now mode. They've sunk a lot of salary cap space into this year. They've got safe, they picked up safety Adrian Amos from the Bears. Uh, that was an interesting story. Adrian Amos and HaHa Clinton Dix pretty much just switched uh, teams because uh, Clinton Dix was on the Packers, went to the Bears, um, got a guy, and then a Adrian Amos came and, and filled that position on the Packers. So that was kind of an interesting story to see. Uh, the Packers got Zadarius Smith from the Raisins. He's an edge rusher. They got another edge rusher, Preston Smith from uh, the Redskins, and then offensive lineman Billy Turner from the Broncos. So they're sinking a lot of money into big names and free agency. They they know that Aaron Rodgers' time is limited, that he's only going to be playing at this level for a few more years, and they really want to win now, and I think they're going to go for it. I, I, I've been going back and forth about whether to put the, the Packers or the Bears higher. I think the Packers have a lot of more variance. I think when they have a bad week, and they will because Rodgers is a very combustible person, and I don't think Matt LaFleur is a great coach uh, for him. So they'll have bad weeks, and they can. I think they can lose to, honestly, any team in this league. But I also think they can beat any team in this league. I think they're going to have a better offense than the Bears, and I think uh, that's going to allow them to be just, in some ways, a little bit more consistent and, uh, and probably have a slightly better record by the end. So I want to defend two of the claims that I made. I'm not saying that the, the, the Packers necessarily did a great job, uh, and their attempts to to side with Aaron Rodgers, they they may have picked a coach that will have the same issues with Rodgers, some of the same issues that that Mike McCarthy did. But I think that the franchise clearly, m you know, picked picked Aaron Rodgers, having Aaron Rodgers, and for for some understandable reasons, more important to them than than having Mike McCarthy. Even though both of them had been with the franchise for quite a while, it was it was very important to them to keep Aaron Rodgers. So they're trying to do what they can to accommodate Aaron Rodgers. Some players are are so that they they have the such personality such that they cannot be accommodated, and may, maybe Rodgers is one of those players. The other thing is, it is true that they they've gotten some good players, but they don't really have a proven roster. They, uh, just like I was saying with the Seahawks, there were some key ingredients that in, in the, you know, a decade ago, half a decade ago, wh when those teams are going to Super Bowls, there were players who were there who are no longer there. And it remains to be seen if the people who have come in can can bridge bridge those gaps. All right, so I've got the Packers, number one, Bears, a close number two, uh, Vikings and then Lions. Uh, who do you, and you've got uh, Bears, then Packers, then Vikings and Lions. Um, what and say again? What is your uh, your tagline for this division? My tagline for this division, the the NFC North, is that this is the average slash below average slash above average division. There's there's not a clear standout team, and even though the Lions are, are the, the worst team, there's not a clear, wow, this team is way at the bottom of the pack. 
I think if the Bears still had Vic Fangio, they would be the clear standout team in this division. And I am so glad that the Broncos decided to take Vic Fangio instead of Matt Eberflus. Yeah, that, that, that's very true because then the Colts would be facing a similar position to the Bears. Not quite the same because they have Andrew Luck, they have a star quarterback, but their defense that has recently just shown itself to be to truly stellar would be young and still developing, but stellar would be taking a turn for, for the uncertain. Well, and the other thing is the Bears have a fantastic roster on defense. Obviously, Khalil Mack, you know, Akeem Hicks, and uh, Roquan Smith – uh, some really good players on their defense, plenty of others as well. They've got an outstanding roster, but you ne- in order to have a good defense, you need a great roster and a great coach. We've got, if you just look at the names of the players, they were all no-name players until we got them, but they fit so well into Iberflus's scheme, and he coached them so well that they're playing, you know, th- they're starting to suddenly play better than other players at their positions. Um, so I think, I think... The the Bears have have a better uh, ha- have a better roster on defense if you just look at the the blue chip names. Also, Darius Leonard on on the Colts is just fantastic. He he is he might be one of the best defensive players in in the upcoming years in the NFL. He's fantastic to watch on defense. Yes, but again, came in as a no name, and so again, you've got all of these no name players at least at the beginning of the season who are who are now making a name for themselves under Matt Eberflus. Okay, so uh, last division is the. NFC East. Honestly, I think this is the worst division um, probably in the league, at least in the NFC, maybe the AFC East. Obviously, they got the Patriots. Um, but but this division has no team that, to me anyway, stands out as a fantastic team. It, it does have some... I don't think that they're going to send two teams to the playoffs. Um, I think, uh, you know, it'll be, at least this past year... They weren't. None of the teams were that fantastic, and I, I'm not sure there's reason to think that things will change this year. Oh, I definitely disagree on that. I think the NFC East, obviously, is it's not the strongest division in the NFL. But my tagline for the NFC East is that there's a clear top half, and there's a clear bottom half to to the NFC East, and the top half is the Cowboys and the Gi- and Cowboys and the Eagles. I can't believe I almost said Giants. And the bottom half is the Giants and the Redskins. There's just a clear clear separation. Here's the thing about the NFC East. The NFC East has some of the deepest rivalries, some of the, you know, strongest. There's just such a this we talked about how the Saints really have that urge to win so they, you know, don't have to do another lawsuit. <laughs> uh, but the 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 Cowboys and the Eagles Man, they have one of the the toughest rivalries in the NFL. They they really don't like one another. Just look at what they do whenever there's a there an NFL draft. How the, how they talk about the other team, and they both have both the Eagles and the Cowboys have a lot of. They're just fantastic players on, on their on their teams. That doesn't mean that they're gonna have nice shiny good records, but they have a lot of really good players on their teams. And then the Giants and the Redskins, not so much. So I'm going to talk about the Cowboys. They're they're the team I have at number one. I loved their game versus the Saints last year. That was a that not every Cowboys game last season was like that, but that really showed what the Cowboys are capable of. They played a fantastic defensive game. the The Saints looked bad. 
the Saints looked really bad. They were saying some ridiculous stats about, I can't even remember what they were, but it was like, this is the last time the Saints haven't gotten the first down in the first half in 20 years. It wasn't quite that dramatic, but that type of statistic, that's, that's what they were able to pull off. And I'm ambivalent about Dak Prescott, but he's not bad. And then there's Ezekiel Elliott, there's Amari Cooper. They have some stars on that team, and again, stars can be dangerous, but they have young, very good stars. Jason Garrett has been the coach since 2011, and he hasn't had significant results yet. And so I do go back and forth about the Cowboys, but I feel pretty confident placing them at number one. I think there's a lot of forward momentum going. Not number one overall, of course, but number one in the NFC East. I think there's a lot of forward momentum going for the Dallas Cowboys in, 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 in this upcoming season. I've got the Cowboys as number one as well. Uh, they've got the same Dak Prescott. They've got the same Zeke. They've got the same Leighton Vander Esch, Demarcus Lawrence, you know, Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett. They're the same team they were last year, essentially. They've got a lot of good players, and I, I don't see a reason they're not going to win this division again. Yeah, and, and Vander Esch is pretty much the Darius Leonard of the NFC. Darius Leonard is better, in my opinion, but Vander Esch is, is, is quite good. So that's why, you know, Vander Esch, the, the image of Vander Esch just tearing up Drew Brees' offense and during that game. Again, it was only one game, but it, it was a sight to behold. There, there was the, the Cowboys were, were a powerhouse in that game, and it seems like the Cowboys are also uh, – they're pretty good at, at working together as a team. Um, they, they, really, they really want to – Jason Garrett has been chomping at the bit to do well, and he has – a lot of the ingredients that he needs to do well, he really does. So you have, you know, the strong defense, some strong defensive players, some strong offensive players. You have a pretty good, you know, cohesive team culture. I, I don't see any reason why the Cowboys can't win this division. Of course, they've come close to winning it a lot of times, and then, you know, often something. The Cowboys are one of those teams that, that, that at least of late, they've perennially disappointed. But that doesn't mean that they can't do it this upcoming year. All right, so you said there's a clear top two teams. Why don't you talk about the Eagles now? So we have our, our skepticisms about Carson Wentz because, you know, you can say, oh, Carson Wentz is really good, and, and he, he obviously is, is a good quarterback, but we've never seen him do a full season and, and do, a full se- do a full season well. And that doesn't mean that he can't, but it seems like there are some shortcomings to his play. That he that he's not one of those guys who you know he's he's doing a lot of the running around the field rather than necessarily being that that great accurate passer. Again, he's a good quarterback, he but he's not he's not Patrick Mahomes as I said earlier about <laughs> some some other pretty good quarterbacks in the NFL. They have a good roster, though, and that's why I feel very confident putting them at number two. They have Zach Erz, they have Austin Austin Jeffrey, they have Fletcher Cox, and they have Doug Peterson, who's a good coach. So I think that they'll pretty easily get into the number two spot, maybe maybe get a wild card spot. All right, so let me ask you this. Why did they go from being Super Bowl champions to needing to win several games at the end of their season in order to string together a 9-7 and seven record? Well, part of that, I think, is it, it's really hard to follow up on a Super Bowl season. Part of it's a psychological thing. Look at teams, some teams, like the Patriots, you know, nastiness, they uh, managed to do quite fine. 
in the years following a Super Bowl, but often teams don't. The Steelers often do not do that well in the season immediately following a Super Bowl win. There's expectations that are really hard to live up to. And psychological reasons are definitely part of the game. They, they are, uh, there's the talent, there's the you know, culture, there, there are all these other factors. But psychologically, I think it's really tough to live up to those incredibly high expectations. So that's definitely part of it. They lost Frank Reich which I think was a significant loss. You, we've seen what he's, he's done to the Colts. And offensive coordinator is an important position. It's, a, it's obviously a very important position. So, so they had a significant loss. Um, and I think the Cowboys, are, in some respect, are, are fairly resurgent right now. All right, so when you look at uh, Frank Reich in two, uh, I'm sorry, when you look at Carson Wentz in 2017, you see a quarterback who's good. He's got a lot of different talents. And when I watched his highlights, what I saw most was how good he was at escaping pressure and, and making, a, making a play out of what looked like a big sack or something like that. Um, that concerns me, actually, because if, you're, if your main highlights are escaping from pressure and making something out of it, whether it's scrambling for 5, 10 yards or making a, a big pass that nobody thought you were going to be able to make because you were in the middle of a pile. That's not what that's not what wins in the long run. Um, first of all, it gets you injured, as it did with Carson Wentz. Secondly, uh, the kind of quarterback who wins consistently is the one who knows how to avoid getting in that pile to begin with the one who knows how to get rid of the ball before that happens, the one who can hit you with short passes every single time, you know, like Tom Brady, somebody who can hit you with long passes uh, like Aaron Rodgers, the kinds of quarterbacks who succeed in the long run. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I haven't seen enough from Carson Wentz yet to, to help let me jump on his train. Look, they have better uh, win-loss ratio with Nick Foles than with Carson Wentz. What does that say? I don't think I, I don't know if Foles is as good on paper as Carson Wentz, but when it comes to the W's, Foles is the guy who gets them for the Eagles. Obviously Wentz got them for for a few uh se several games in 2017 and I don't want to take away from that. But uh they don't have Foles now. He's with the Jaguars. Uh so if things go sour, if Wentz gets injured, then what are they going to do? They're missing Frank Reich. I think, as you mentioned, I think that's a major piece. How do you go from a Super Bowl championship to barely even being able to make a 9-7 and record? I think, in this case, it seems like the loss of Frank Reich is a big part of it. Their offensive coordinator, who now is the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, he's been doing a fantastic job as a head coach, so you know he was also a good offensive coordinator. Um Again, being a good offensive coordinator doesn't mean you'll be a good head coach, but I think if you are a good head coach, you'll also be a good offensive coordinator. Uh, so I think that's a major missing piece. Obviously, they are still missing Frank Reich. Uh, they still have question marks about Wentz's health. Is he going to be healthy this season? If he is healthy, is he going to be good like he was in 2017? We just don't know. Too many question marks. I have them as number three. As number two, I have... Wait for it. The New York Giants. Look, uh, everyone wants to hate on the Giants, and I understand. They they had a terrible record last year uh, and, and the year before. Um, 
Eli Manning last year was sacked 47 times, which I believe was a high for his career. Uh, there, But their offensive line has significantly improved, and there's a lot of fresh talent on their defense as well. You will see how that goes. But I think Eli Manning is... People people use the word overrated to mean not very good and underrated to mean really, really good. Uh, that's not what those words mean. Underrated means he's bad and people think he's worse than he is or he's good and people don't think he's as good as he is. It, it, whether To say somebody's underrated does not mean he's great. So uh, with that caveat, Eli Manning is the most underrated player in the NFL. I don't think he's an above-average quarterback. I think he's average. Or if below average, only slightly below average at this point. I don't think he's one of the bottom quarterbacks. I certainly do not think that the Giants should have picked Sam Darnold over Saquon Barkley. A lot of people were mad about that decision. Look at the look at the year that Sam Darnold had with the Jets. He was terrible. Look at look at how Eli Manning did with the Giants versus how Sam Darnold did with the Jets. Eli Manning had much better stats, a much better passer rating. Look, Eli Manning last season, he had a passer rating that was pretty much on par for his whole career. If you look at how he performed, look when the when the Giants played the Colts, it was it was Eli Manning who was beating us through the air. It was Eli Manning who almost won that game. We ended up winning by one point, thank goodness. But uh, it was because of Eli Manning. It wasn't because of their defense. It wasn't because of Saquon Barkley. Even uh, Eli Manning is a decent quarterback, and I don't think the I think the Giants are right to not get rid of him yet. Uh, I I think. He's still got more in him, and I am. I think that you know, with a, a revamped offensive line, a fresh defense, and uh, you know, Daniel Jones. I, I agree that that was a mistake. They should have picked Dwayne Haskins uh, to be Eli's successor, uh, because Daniel Jones is just basically a replica of Eli Manning. And and like I said, Eli has never been great. Um, you know, he he obviously won two Super Bowls, so good for him there. But uh, but I don't, I don't see a reason to think Daniel Jones is going to be uh, a great successor. Uh, I think Dwayne Haskins had better potential there. But that mistake is not relevant to this year. Eli is their guy in 2019, and I think Eli is going to deliver. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. I don't think they're going to make playoffs. Uh, I think they're going to come in number two in this division, though, and that's going to be enough of a uh, uh, success story for them given the expectations they have. We agree a lot on the Giants. I, I don't like hating on Peyton Manning. I think it's not – or sorry, I don't like hating on Peyton Manning either. But uh, I don't like hating on Eli Manning. I don't think it's borne out in the data for one thing. And also he did a great public service by beating the Patriots twice. We should be forever in gratitude to Eli Manning for that astounding public service. But I just – you know, when you Carson Wentz versus Eli Manning – the, you know, Doug Peterson versus whoever is the coach of the Giants now. Like, it, it, it just doesn't – I don't see the Giants being better. I, I do think that you need to look at the numbers and there are sort of popular narratives that can creep up about players. And definitely the narrative that Eli Manning is very bad is, is a pretty strong one, and it's not a true one. And he seemed to work well with Saquon Barkley last year. That, that seemed to be a good pairing. You know, I mentioned – earlier when talking about the Cardinals that just seeing Josh Rosen with Larry Fitzgerald didn't seem like, oh, this is a great pairing, you know, the young quarterback throwing to the older uh, wide receiver, but the older quarterback throwing to this this dynamic, you know, new running back. 
there was there were some great moments between Manning and Saquon Barkley last year. Now, I just have to mention, since this is a big Giants thing that you did not mention, is the loss of Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, that's a sad loss, and as you can see from my my all my remarks, I have this you know tug and pull in terms of how I feel about flashy, dramatic players. And, of course, this is a large part because I'm a Steelers fan and we've seen what those dramatic, flashy players can do. Sometimes it's good to be rid of them. But, nonetheless, you also have to have wide receivers. So even if they're divas, like part of the reason why the Steelers are still okay even after losing Antonio Brown is not because Antonio Brown... Antonio Brown is a fantastic wide receiver, but we would probably be better off with his drama than without it if if he were willing to stay. If we didn't have Juju, you have to have a good wide receiver. Even though drama is bad, you still have to have a good wide receiver. So who who's the player who's who's going to – who's the Juju Smith-Schuster on the New York Giants? I'm not sure there is one. Maybe there is one, but I'm not sure. Okay, but who's the Odell Beckham Jr. on the Eagles? Uh, that's Okay, Zach Ertz, they have a lot of – you know. I know he's a tight end, but – the, the Eagles have a lot of different components on offense. And, and the Giants have other receivers, too, is my point. Um, I, look, since if, if you've listened uh, up to this point, and we're an hour and 24 minutes in, I'm going to go ahead and say something controversial here, okay? I do not think Carson Wentz has yet shown that he's a better quarterback than Eli Manning. And I think, uh, you know... If you have a decent receiving core, you've got a good offensive line, you've got a good quarterback, Eli Manning, I think, is going to be a good quarterback. And the only reason I don't think he's an above-average quarterback in this league is because there are so many good quarterbacks right now. But Eli Manning is a good quarterback. I'm excited to see what he's going to do this year. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, and I watched the game against the Colts, too. And, and Eli Manning, I don't think Eli Manning is not somebody who should be written off. He he's 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 had enough good games. He, his numbers are consistent enough that you shouldn't be like, ah, oh, Eli Manning. That's going to be an easy win. That that that's not necessarily the case. I think that Eli Manning might be a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Certainly, there's more record to show with with um, Carson Wentz has only done three seasons. The first one, he wasn't that good. It was his first season. The second one, he got injured. The third one, he got injured. So we don't really have a record of – we don't have Carson Wentz finishing a season well. We obviously have seen Eli Manning finish the season well. But as we love to say, team is not just his quarterback. So measuring the two teams against one another, I, I still think that the Eagles are better. Now, there's a team uh, that – the last team that we've covered, and, and I think the NFC East might be the most fun division to argue about. There's a lot of really combustible factors in it, like, ooh, the Cowboys. You know, the Cowboys have a storied history in the NFL. They haven't really done Super Bowl recently, but they have a lot of vim and vigor to them. We have the Giants, and then you can argue about Eli Manning, and then you can say, what the heck about Daniel Jones? And then the Eagles, of course, they have this fantastic, amazing Super Bowl win, but then, you know, Carson Wentz hasn't completed a season well, as I just said. And then you have the Redskins. And the Redskins are, I would say, the clear number four. But um, they're still interesting to talk about because we have this interesting quarterback situation of, unfortunately, Alex Smith is, is you know, his injuries are such that there's no chance of him playing next year. And then you have Colt McCoy, who isn't a good backup. You have Dwayne Haskins, who's a rookie, but has a lot of promise. And then you have the generic white journeyman quarterback, Case Keenum. And that's going to be an interesting 
you know, I, I'm not sure who's going to end up playing more, Haskins or Keenum. Can we make a deal here um, between the Redskins and the Vikings? Because I think Case Keenum obviously had way more success with the Vikings than he had with the Broncos. He needs to go back there. And Kirk Cousins had more success, I think, with the Redskins than he's had with the Vikings. Why don't we just switch those two players, trade Kirk Cousins for Case Keenum, and then, uh, then maybe both teams will be better off. Well, Minnesota's invested a lot of money in Kirk Cousins, so may- maybe they, they wouldn't want to do that. But my point is that there's no clear leadership in the Redskins. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Colt McCoy will be – we know that Smith will be playing. I don't think Colt McCoy will be playing that much. But who, who's going to be the Haskins versus Keenum? I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. So I don't really think anybody is even all that good on the Redskins. Adrian Peterson has has had a good career, but he's, as far as football players go, he's old. So the Redskins seem to me a fairly uncontroversial pick for number four in this division. They've also got some cultural problems as well. uh, Two days ago, six players had their salaries reduced for missing mandatory workouts. This is the summer, people. You don't have anything else to do. Why don't you show up to the mandatory workouts? You've got six players missing those. I mean, come on. That's... That's not a healthy culture. Yeah, the Redskins is, are a franchise. It, it's again when I was searching for articles about the Redskins, there was a lot of, you know, clinging to shreds of hope. There wasn't a lot to. There wasn't. No, there isn't a lot to be excited about the Redskins, except for Dwayne Haskins. That's really the only thing that's exciting. Um, and I think one of the articles like, oh, Adrian Peterson is going to be even better than you know before. You know, clinging to this the shreds of hope, but. I like Adrian Peterson. I've been I've been following for him him for a long time, but I, he's not going to make the Redskins certainly not make the Redskins capable of beating out the Cowboys or the Eagles. All right, so we've got I've got the Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, Redskins. You have the Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, Redskins. Uh, what was your tagline for this division? There's a clear top half and a clear bottom half, but it sounds like you didn't quite agree with that. Yeah, that's the one I maybe disagree with because uh, I think the Giants are, are going to be in the top half. All right, but now the next question is who is going to make the playoffs? Okay, well, obviously I can just say all the teams that I put at number one. So I think the Cowboys, the Bears, uh, the Saints, and the Rams will be the division winners. And then as far as the wild card goes, ah, see, I have to – pick because I think the Eagles have a decent shot at it the maybe the Packers Eagles Packers uh, maybe even Panthers actually okay so yeah I I did I did put the Panthers at number three I'm gonna take that back I think that 49ers are and Eagles are gonna be the ones who who make the playoffs all right, so I agree with you about the 49ers, obviously, because I have them as number one. And I also agree with you about the Rams, because I have them as number two. And, and the Rams, look, they, they were a great team last year. I don't think they're going to win their division, because I think the 49ers are going to surprise a lot of people. But I do think the Rams are still going to make playoffs. All right? Um, the Falcons, I think, like I said, they're going to be a scary team. I'd have them, well, I can say I'd have them at number one if it weren't for the Saints, which is obviously true, because they're number two under the Saints. Um, but I do think the Falcons are going to be uh, a dangerous team. They're kind of a, the dark horse team that everyone should be uh, scared of this year. Um, Bears, I wish I could say they'd go because I like the Bears, uh, but I think the Falcons are going to beat them out. I don't think the Giants are going to be anywhere near 
good enough to beat out the Falcons or the Rams. So I've got the 49ers, the Packers, the Cowboys, and the Saints. Probably Saints number one seed. Um, uh, either I don't I don't know who the number two seed will be, but uh, but then I I have got the my wild card teams are the Falcons and the Rams. So that that's it for the NFC. But I I just have to say that the preseason is going to start on August 1st. We have less than two weeks to go, and then we can see how wrong or right we were about this prediction. Of course, that'll just be the preseason, which is still kind of boring. But football is better than no football. And then just a few more weeks, and we'll have the actual season where we can start seeing if these predictions were any good and if I am more right than you. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast and if you listened all the way through, you should probably get a life. But if not, then please uh, subscribe. Uh, to subscribe, just send me an email through the little email form at the bottom of the website. And uh, if you like this podcast, uh, you probably don't remember the link to it, so make sure to bookmark it on your uh, br favorite browser and your second favorite browser just to be sure. And uh, if you <laughs> have any suggestions about how I can uh, uh, get an RSS feed or whatever, um, whatever you have to do to get your podcast on iTunes and Spotify, let me know about that. If not, I'll figure it out one day or another. Uh, <coughs> all right. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>